Hey, it's Eric Johansson, and uh, I'm a roots rock blues artist from New Orleans, Louisiana, and you're listening to Talkin' Blues. So I have to ask you, with the recent hurricane, how badly were you affected? Uh, you know, not badly in, in a, so far as uh, property damage or anything like that. Um, you know, our apartment was fine and I didn't lose any belongings. Um, you know, of course it, it uh, knocked out power in the city for um, about a week um, or give or take because it came back on in, in stages. Um, so, you know, I had evacuated um, up to uh, my mom lives about in, like three hours away from New Orleans in central Louisiana. So we evacuated up there. So it was a little bit of a disruption in so far as, you know, just having to cancel some plans and um, throw, it, throw out everything in the refrigerator and all that. But nothing, nothing too bad, thankfully. But you have gone to worse situations with hurricanes when you went through Katrina. Yeah. Which I presume once you go through something like that, that makes you look at things differently. Yeah, I mean, one thing is, you know, I, you know, I, I learned not to underestimate um, the power of what these storms can do um, because there's sort of a human nature where, you know, you get warned about something so many times and then it doesn't happen. People tend to think, oh, you know, they always say that, so I'm, I'm not going to leave or whatever. And, um, you know, it's random where, it, where the storms end up hitting. But, uh, you know, in Katrina, it definitely um, showed that it can be pretty bad when when it does hit. Um, and, yeah, in Katrina, um, I was living uptown New Orleans, not far from where I live now. And um, the apartment that I was living in took on about four feet of water inside. The apartment was actually raised up about three and a half feet. So it was actually seven feet of water from wow. the ground. But... Um, and that water stayed for a couple of weeks before it was drained out of the city. So everything that I had, uh, I lost at that time. And I actually was out of town on a completely unrelated trip. Um, so I found out that the hurricane was hitting. I was already in Washington, D.C. And uh, so there wasn't anything I could do to get back and even grab like a couple of guitars or anything. So it just all was just gone. Um, and that definitely had a big impact on me. I mean, it, it, uh, it was definitely a moment of, of starting over, you know, that was forced upon me, you know. When, when you lose, and I think you lost equipment, um, musical equipment as well mm -hmm. as studio equipment, when you lose things like that, that are, I mean, when you lose everything, basically, all yeah. belongings, how do you how do you cope with that? How does how does one deal with that? It's interesting because at that time, um, watching it from afar, you know, sort of being stuck um, far away from New Orleans and, and watching what was happening. I mean, I couldn't feel too sorry for myself when there were people standing on rooftops, you know, trying to get rescued with helicopters. So it wasn't that I was sitting there going, oh, my guitars or something like that. For the most part, at first, I was I was just, you know what, I'm just glad that I'm not stuck there in this hellish situation that so many people are stuck in. Um, but the way that it impacts you to lose everything like that, I mean, for me anyway, again, it wasn't so much missing a particular object. It was just that the loss of identity or, you know, like I literally didn't even have the tools to be who I was you know, and do what I did. So it was, it was sort of not having anywhere to go other than just like a couch on, you know, a family member's couch or something like that. And, and just sort of, you know, not having anything to go back to, um, you know, when you're an apartment renter and you, and your apartment is destroyed, then that's just it. I mean, it, you know, there's no, you don't go back and sort through the rubble and with the insurance company or whatever, you just don't have an apartment anymore or any things. Um, so you're just sort of like, you know, living out of a suitcase and, and trying to figure out what's next. So I think that was really 
the bigger thing to contend with. You know, it, it bummed me out to lose all that stuff. And that happened in stages as I sort of like would, would think, oh, I used to have this and I used to have that and now I don't. But for the most part, I think it was just really the, uh, you know, where do you go now? Um, you know, just, it just, it totally changes. You don't have your own place and you don't have the ability for at least a period of time to, to be who you are and do what you do. You're just sort of living in someone else's house (laughs) and, you know, um, which again, I've always been thankful for that. I had somewhere to crash and that I had somewhere to go and that I wasn't stuck in the water or something like that. So I've always been thankful for, you know, um, that I didn't personally suffer any, any injury or that I wasn't killed in the storm. And, and same as this last one with hurricane Ida. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm very thankful for, um, you know, just the basics of just being, having a safe place to go during it. But, but yeah, Katrina was, you know, that was definitely a moment where I had to figure out what was next. That, that was a given because going back to normal wasn't, a possibility. Um, and, um, you know, so it sort of definitely made me reevaluate everything at the time. And part of that reevaluation meant that you were moving to New Zealand. Yeah. And, and, you know, I know that's strange to a lot of people because they say, oh, that's, that's a far way to go. Um, but for me, I already had, you know, read some things about New Zealand and it was sort of just this, oh, if I was, you know, to get away, I would go there. Um, the bad part about losing everything is obvious. You know, you don't, you've lost everything. And the good part is, well, now you literally, you know, you don't have to figure out what to do with all that stuff or how you're slowly going to transition to something else. You literally just have to save up and get the plane ticket and figure out how you're going to, you know, get over there and survive for a few weeks and maybe find some other way of, you know, getting by, um, over there. So, I mean, it's it sort of, I think, rather than figuring out how to save up money and come back and have an apartment in New Orleans at a time when the city was still just a mess and it was, it was you know, trying, you know, just trying to rebuild, um, I was able to work toward a goal and that kept, that kept me, it got me through it really, you know, because you know, I ended up uh, getting a job, you know, at a, a law firm, like doing, you know, reviewing documents and stuff like that. And that in and of itself, um, you know, going from playing music to just sitting at a desk, working at a computer, trying to make a, save a little bit of money, it would have been kind of maybe depressing, but I was working toward this goal of, no, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to save up and I'm going to get out of here and I'm going to go somewhere else. And so it gave me a goal to, to work toward. And, um, and, you know, so it seems kind of far to go and it was, but, um, it, it, it was the right choice for me at the time. It, it really, it sort of, I, I needed to feel that I wasn't restrained and, and sort of restricted in what my possibilities were. I really needed to like break outside of the, the box or, you know, how long did it take for you to make that decision? Because that's a big decision. Yeah, it was fairly quick. Um, <laughs> honestly, I think that I was in a, a, a sort of a, a shock and devastation type of thing. And, and just I was processing a lot of things. And I had made some online friends in New Zealand and okay. had talked with them before. And I was asking them questions about the country and stuff like that. And this is before Facebook and all that. I think that they, they worked for a radio station and I had uh, talked with them before in that context and, and was asking them questions about what's it like over there. And, you know, do you guys like Americans over there and stuff, you know, cause I really didn't know anything, you know, and it, and it, it's hard to remember, you know, this was like 2004, I started talking with them and, and, you know, at that time I just, you had the internet, but you didn't have, uh, I still didn't have that much of a sense of the things the way you do now with social media, because you see everything that everybody's doing all day. But, um, so I had kind of been talking with them. So when I was in this moment of, you know, like, I don't know what I'm going to do next, they reach out and said, well, why don't you come over here for a while? 
And I said, I, and I just kind of thought, yeah, why, why not? You know? <laughs> so, okay, so I, I presume you had a vague idea of what New Zealand was like. Yeah. Um, when you got there, what was, what, how, how was it compared to the vague idea you might've had? Uh, I, I, it was great. I mean, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, it's kind of funny because it's a, it's very, I mean, it's a beautiful place and the people are really nice and, you know, um, you know, I, it was, it was definitely, I felt pretty happy and excited about having achieved just getting over there, you know, and, um, and, you know, that, that lasted for quite a while and I still feel that way about it. I still, ha I still have a really, you know, big love for New Zealand and, and I, I still think it is pretty much everything that I thought it would be. I think the only things that you can't account for and that I wasn't able to account for is everything that I took for granted about where I had come from. Uh, so that's what started to eventually, you know, come back up in my mind is that sort of the, the musical context that I was used to in New Orleans uh, is, is a big part of who I am. And it, uh, that's sort of the type of stuff that I, that I missed. You know, if, if somehow I could combine it all together, I would, you know, because um, I, I miss so much about um, being over there. But um, but when I first got over there, you know, it was just it was just going through walks and beautiful forests and beaches and, you know, <laughs> writing music. And and uh, it, it was it was great. Um, so and, and it, it did. It really did. Uh, alleviate some sort of uh, existential stress that I had on the idea that I was confined to um, a certain place or, you know, just, just, you know, growing up and not coming from any money or anything like that, just feeling like you were going to sort of be trapped in some way or another. And I think getting over there, it sort of made me feel like, look, you know, you're not as trapped as you think you know, you're, you're able to do something like this. You're able to, to, um, go, you know, be living 8,000 miles from where you were born. Um, for me, that was just an important experience, I think, to just kind of like blow off some steam and, and, uh, feel less confined. I wonder, um, musically, like, were you going, you lost your equipment. I presume you did get something back before you went there, but how much did music play into what you were going to be doing in New Zealand? Well, I think, so I had started experimenting a little bit more with this idea that, you know, art um, didn't need to be, you know, the, the music as art, that it didn't need to be concerned with um, whether it was real drums and bass or whether it was a band I just wanted to think about the sound and the emotion that I was trying to convey and so I had begun dabbling in electronics um and you know just sort of using samples and and programming the sounds that I thought would work with the sound that was in my head and so the the break that I had with everything that I had going in New Orleans and the musicians that I was playing with and deciding to go overseas, it sort of went along with the idea that, okay, I'll just create music with myself and with a computer, you know, and it's, it's hard to really uh, decouple those things because the idea in my head that I was going to be able to continue making art by myself whether or not I met musicians that I really clicked with or not, that was a big part of how this was all going to work out. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I wasn't going over there going, well, I, I just sure, I, I hope I meet the right musicians so that I can play. Otherwise, I don't know how I'm going to make music. I was very much in my mind going, I'm going to make music by myself. I'm just going to create music um, and not worry about it being a band or whatever. So that you know, and again, it's, it's really the polar opposite from what I'm doing now. Um, 
because I, I definitely came back to that human element of wanting to play with other people and wanting to play organically. Um, but at the time, I think it was a coping mechanism combined with an interest. I mean, I do, I, I do find it fun and I always have to play with drum machines and stuff like that, but it definitely combined with this is how it's all going to work. This is how it all makes sense. Uh, I presume that that also served you well during the pandemic. It, it did. And I found a way to work that into my current, more organic, you know, outlook on things with the cover tracks records um, mm -hmm. that I just put out, you know, and, you know, the way that those records came out, I was, I started doing a live stream and I was just doing bluesy stuff. And then I picked up a looper pedal just to kind of keep it interesting to me. So I started scratching out some rhythms and then I'd play over that and maybe put a little rhythm guitar down and solo over that and stuff. And people started saying, Hey, I want to hear something like this. Like, like I like your records with the, the more rock band kind of sound, but like, I want to hear this stripped down acoustic stuff. And so by recording those and using some of those skills that I had from recording my other stuff by myself, um, you know, I, I was able to sort of have fun with that and, uh, you know, in the context of more bluesy stuff. I love the songs that you chose. I mean, I don't know them all, but a lot of those yeah. songs that you oh, chose you. are songs that I, I grew up with. And whether it be 2564 or Can't You See or whatever, I mean, yeah. these are songs that are near and dear to me. And you do such a great job with them. And with, oh, with so you. little, you know, so little meaning just yourself. And um, I really, really enjoyed those. Thank you. So Yeah, I, guess, I mean, it was fun. <laughs> Um, how did those songs come to you? Is it was it requested? I mean, how, obviously it was inspired by the streaming, um, but how did you come upon choosing those songs? Uh, you know, it was kind of a mix. So I I asked for requests from fans, you know, in the mailing list and stuff like that. So I got I got a fair amount of requests, and then I had some songs that had meant something to me at one point or another, and you know that represented all the different things I'd been into over the years. Um, and so I sort of just, you know, and I also was sort of trying to do this in a timely way. So it's, you know, I, I kind of, things just sort of rose to the surface. Um, you know, I had a few that were kind of going around in my head. And then, and then when I was listening through the requests, a couple of things jumped out at me uh like oh i wept and and stuff like that that, that i wasn't really familiar with i i had heard of the band free and you know and stuff like that and then um 25 or 64 um same thing i'd heard it but then when I, I was listening to it again i was like man this is sort of oddly appropriate for the pandemic <laughs> as well you know just that kind of feeling of just being inside and just like i guess i'll do this now i guess i'll try this i don't know um you know so, so just things just kind of rose to the surface and I ended up, you know, narrowing down a list of about 20 something songs. And then I was just kind of thinking, well, you know, maybe I'll make it two volumes rather than, than one. Um, you know, and part of that is just kind of trying to keep things going while waiting and seeing what happened, you know, what was going to happen with the music industry and everything. So I kind of gave me something to work on um, without, uh, too much expense or anything, you know, just recording at home. And, um, it, it was, it was cool. I, it was, it was very fun to, to get to do that again, because, you know, for the last couple of studio records that I did, um, under my own name, you know, uh, with the, the sort of power trio type thing, um, you know, they were, they were a little bit more, they were, well, they were more electrified and, and I was working with different engineers and stuff, but I, I enjoy kind of getting hands on with it and mixing and, and all that. So I, you know, it gave me a lot to do, <laughs> which was good. We kind of started in the middle. So can we just go back to the beginning? Mm -hmm. I know you started playing music very early and I know you were playing in the bars, like at the age of 14, 15 or whatever, but how did music first come into your life? I don't really recall it not being a, a big part of my life. You know, I, I think I was always drawn to music. Um, 
you know, even as like a toddler, I was, I would ask my mom to put on certain records and I would dance around and I, I started playing air guitar and I just really wanted to play guitar and I was asking for a guitar and I don't remember a lot of this because, you know, it just, it was, I was too young. I finally got my first guitar when I was five and really couldn't do much on it at all. But, you know, I, I, uh, it just always was there and, and, and there was never really a thought that I would do anything else. Um, you know, and not that I'm not interested in other things, but, um, that, that, that was always my, you know, the center of my focus. And then, and then I was lucky enough to have a mom that was cool enough to take me to some concerts and an older sister that would introduce me to music. So when I was too young to even know how to find music, my older sister was listening to MTV and stuff and like seeing some of those late eighties, early nineties bands and going to see them live in concert. And then, you know, so having the arena rock experience when I was in grammar school, um, you know, that really solidified it. I was just, I mean, they were like superheroes, you know, and that, that was, I was just like, this is definitely what I have to do. Okay. Can you give me some examples of who those superheroes would have been? Oh, I mean, I saw Poison. I saw Motley Crue. I saw Guns N' Roses. I saw Metallica several times. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of who else. I mean, you know, Soundgarden in the early days. And, um, you know, so I, I mean, but, but Bon Jovi, I think, was one of my first concerts. I was seeing Bon Jovi when I was maybe six or something. So, okay, so these, a lot of these are classic rock bands. Right? I guess, yeah. I mean, they're '80s. I guess. I mean, when I was growing up, classic classic rock was like the late '60s stuff. But I suppose right, right. now yeah. that's classic rock. Yeah. So, um, and when you started playing in bars at a young age in your teenage years, what were you playing? What kind of stuff was it? That kind of stuff? No, it was blues. You know. Um, so, I I sort of when I really when guitar started to click with me, I was sort of in a metal phase you know hard rock um you know the stuff that was on mtv nothing super esoteric just you know megadeth and metallica and and right. you know white zombie and stuff like that uh so so that was i was into the riffing stuff you know and but i would go see bands at you know we had, there was a local restaurant pub that you know you, all ages could go see the shows and and I'd go um, and and see bands playing and and the bluesy stuff. I always liked Jimi Hendrix, you know. I always liked that stuff, and I would always like even guitar players that I was into. I got I got really into like the guitarists, you know, the instrumental guitarists, you know, the Satriani and Steve Vai and and uh, people like that. And these guys were always talking about Albert King and and you know. Freddie King and all this stuff. So I had gone and discovered some of that and I started to get more into that. And then I think that combined with the fact of wanting to get up and play with some of these older musicians and seeing them jamming blues and that first experience of like knowing a pentatonic scale enough to improvise in a blues context and just to be making it up and that feeling once I felt that it's like it just opened up my understanding of what I was listening to. And so then when I would listen to, you know, B.B. King, Freddie King, you know, um, uh, you know, all of these great blues guys, Buddy Guy, um, it, it just in my my mind was just opened up to it in a, in a new way because I would I would feel what they were speaking with the guitar uh, and then I would want to learn the licks. And, you know, and so by the time I really started playing live um, about, you know, 14. Um, it was, it was blues. You know, I was, I was in a big blues phase by that point. And are you in New Orleans at this point or are you somewhere mm -hmm. else? No, okay. I'm in New Orleans right now. So how, how important is New Orleans to, to your musical heritage? I think it's a lot more, I, I see now how important it is in a way that I didn't see before I left and came back. Um, and the reason is uh, musicians around here are able to play usually different styles and they're able to play together 
um, and improvise. And that's a big commonality between jazz and funk and blues and Zydeco music and, you know, um, a lot of the different styles, you know, that, that are around here. And that, that ability to listen to each other in the moment and be making it up on the spot and the, the, the small nuances being what's important. You know, it's it, w- whether you're talking jazz, funk, blues, whatever, it's, it's the tiny little nuances and listening together and it becoming this sort of um, some that's greater than the parts, you know. Uh, and that thing is something that um, I sort of took for granted. So when I was doing rock music or whatever, there was always a, an element of improvisation. And a lot of the time, if I was playing with people from around here, we would be able to do that, uh, you know, and add that that element into it. And it's something that I didn't realize until I maybe jammed with people that had just come from a, a exclusively rock music background that were from somewhere else where they were used to like learning songs and learning the parts and playing them that way. And it being sort of very by the book. And, and I realized, Oh, that's not, that's not how I approach music. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm always interpreting it in the moment. And so that there's a lot of, you know, even if I'm not doing a traditional style, there's so much about the feel of the culture, you know, and, and just that, um, that sense of spontaneity and, and really listening to each other that I think has had a big influence on me. I wonder when, when you first started recording, is, is it correct to assume that your first pro- recording project was Sire? Uh, yeah. I mean, the first thing that was released, I mean, I, you know, I had four track tapes when I was growing up and I was doing whatever, you know, instrumental guitar stuff, you know, with the drum machine and coming up with guitar melodies and riffs. And that was the first stuff that I ever, I guess, put down on tape. Um, the Sire stuff, it's, it's funny because I, I, I had, you know, spent most of my teenage years doing blues, um, and then I really sort of, you know, I think it was Government Mule that I saw them open up for Buddy Guy. And I sort of remembered, you know, I, I hadn't forgotten all the rock stuff I was into, but I'd sort of just gotten really heavily into this blues thing. And they sort of tied it all together. And I started moving in that direction uh, of wanting to tie together the, you know, different chords and different scales, but with that bluesy approach, you know, and with the guitar solos that were from the heart and, you know, the improvisation and stuff. But I think that I just sort of also had all this other stuff going on where I wanted to tie in the drum machines. I wanted to tie this in. And and then the end result ended up being more rock, than it was roots, I guess. And it, you know, ended up being more progressive. Um, and to me, it, they, all that stuff still, there's so much overlap, but uh, it definitely ended up going right past the roots rock bands and all the way into the, you know, progressive rock. When it does that, are you, does that matter to you? Because it's, it's you, you're going by what feels right to you and this is the direction that's taken you. So does it, do you turn around at one point and go, oh, wow, this is way more progressive than I ever expected it to be? Or, you know, because I, I keep reading about yeah. the comparison to Tool as, as mm-hmm. one, of, one of the things that seems to be there when, when, when they talk about Sire. Yeah, I, I think that, um, and, and I think there was a Tool influence, but I don't think it was, there was already elements there that I saw them putting together in a way that made sense to me and that I was already into the Eastern scales and that had come from way before, you know, when I was listening to people like Satriani and Steve Vai and stuff like that. And, and, and I I was always interested in the different types of scales, the different types of time signatures and stuff. But I think one thing that influenced me uh, to sort of make, weirder arrangements is that I've always had a trouble hearing something as original 
unless it's kind of weird, you know? And, and so it's like, I can, I can enjoy playing some rootsy stuff and playing a straight blues thing. And I can enjoy listening to it, but it's almost like it doesn't feel like a new song. So I, and that's something I've had to struggle with, you know, more recently, but I think when I was working on stuff where it was like, okay, it goes from, you know, seven, four to 11, four or whatever. And, and it's got this scale and then it goes to this scale. It was like a way of breaking outside of, oh, that sounds like this other song, you know, because a lot of times if, if you just sit there and you start strumming some chords and you go where it naturally feels like it wants to go, then you go, oh yeah, that's that other song. Oh, I've heard a song that does that before. It's this. And I had a lot of trouble with that um, in the early stages of my writing. I just, if it sounded like something else to me, um, then I would immediately shut it down. Now, the irony is that the sound as a whole, as you say, people would compare that to other bands, but sort of the way that I got there was going, well, you know, this chord change doesn't remind me of anything or, you know, it's, right. it's sort of, um, and, and so I think that that element, that, that, uh, tradition versus innovation, you know, there's, it's a, it's a tricky thing because, um, for the most part, you know, when something sounds familiar, traditional music, you know, there's an element of it that's going to sound familiar. And so when you're writing a new song, that's a new blues song or a new, you know, um, country song or whatever, there's some element that's familiar, right. you know, because otherwise, why would you call it blues? There's got to be some element that is what you expect. But then you also want to do something that's not what you expect. And I, in the early stages of my writing, I very much was always trying to do what you don't expect. Um, and so that led it to being more progressive. How well did that band do? Uh, not very well, but I think it was, you know, I mean, honestly, um, it was very little of a band. Um, it was sort of like something that I wanted to become a band, but in the meantime, I really wanted to make the music and I was trying to, you know, discover what I was trying to do. And so I was always making the stuff and I was so used to, I've, I've never been good at sort of sitting around and waiting till I meet the right people. I'm going to be making stuff, you know, and I'm going to be sort of having a vision of how I want things to be. Um, so by the time, you know, I would have this music and then I'd be looking for a drummer to, to play it basically. Um, but I always wanted it to become more of a band. It just never really did. So, <laughs> you know, I, I sort of, I was, I worked with some, a couple of different great drummers and, you know, uh, I had a few different bass players that cycled in and out and, you know, it just never really became something where it was a bunch of guys that wanted to get in a van and go sleep on floors and, you know, eat peanut butter sandwiches and try to tour the country, getting this rock band off the ground. And honestly, I don't know that there's another way to get a rock band off the ground. Because if you don't have like a group of people that are willing to make zero money and practice three times a week so that you know all these crazy arrangements together, um, then I don't know how it works, you know? So it basically just, it was a project, you know? <laughs> but but it, that, was the, that was the goal is hopefully one day it will become a band and you would yeah. go tour. Um, yeah. But at the same time, I mean, based on what I saw on the internet, there's obviously a bit of a following and people were talking about the band. How did that, how did that get out there? How did people know about that? Well, I think, you know, I mean, it's sort of a slow burn of, you know, just uh, the music being out there for a while and people discovering it and passing it to each other and everything. Um, you know, you have to have that critical momentum to get something off the ground in a way that you can actually get the, you know, the ball rolling on, um, to get it on the road and actually go out there and make it a real thing and be touring. That never really happened, but the, uh, the music being passed around has definitely, um, 
definitely sort of happened, you know, on a, on a cult following level, you know, yeah, there's, there's definitely people that are still into it, you know. Is there ever a possibility that you will go back to that? I mean, I honestly, it, it would have to be if, if, if it just made sense to me, I mean, honestly, I, I find what I'm doing now to give me more freedom and expression. Um, but, you know, I still like heavy sounds. I mean, there's nothing that I stopped liking about heavier music. Uh, I still can dig that. Um, and it can be fun to play, but I just don't get as much enjoyment out of, um, just sort of the scriptedness of, you know, writing songs that have these specific changes and we have to hit these specific points. And, um, it, it's sort of, I don't know if, if there was a context to do it in, you know, theoretically, but it, it's just, it's not really where my, my head's at at the right. moment. Okay. But I am curious because I, I tend to like progressive rock. And I, mm. as I get older, I seem to not go back to it all the time, but it's there for me, you know, and, and, yeah. and I guess I do go back to it. And I find it intriguing that, I, you know, I love the blues and there's a certain rawness to it. Um, but I, there's something about the technicality. And, and, and for me, a lot of great progressive rock has great melody. You know, there's something very catchy yeah. about things while there's so many crazy things going on. And yeah. and Sawyer seems to have that element of the melodic side of things, and I think part of it is also your vocals, which you have. You know, you, you got a great voice, and it's it's interesting when I review, you know, your acoustic stuff versus your bluesy stuff versus your progressive stuff. I mean, the one constant is your voice, and it's like, wow, that works in every every genre, which is really neat. Oh, thanks. Um, but from your point of view, and I know you said you're not into it now, but when you were into it as somebody who wrote progressive music, what was it that you loved about it? Well, I think that the the difference comes down to what is the art form? Because, you know, a lot of things can be classified as music, but I feel like with the progressive stuff, the art is really in the construction and the, you know, the writing and, and with the, the roots of your stuff, the art form is largely in the performance. Um, it's not in the construction. So I feel like with the, the progressive stuff, what I really liked about it is, you know, finding some strange, you know, little riff or motif that would work with some beat that you wouldn't have thought it worked with, you know, something that was kind of off of that a little bit or, um, some, or trying to make something in a weird count like seven or 11 or nine, trying to make something like that groove to where you're not thinking you're not having to count it. It, it just, it seems to make sense. And yet it's in this odd timing. And just by setting that parameter, of going, okay, let me write something in seven or whatever. Um, it, it would give you like a challenge, like a puzzle to work out, you know? And so, and that was fun. Um, then when it comes time to perform it, you're sort of just recreating the, the piece, you know, you're recreating the art that you, that you constructed. And I think that that's where for me, um, it just depends where you want the real creativity to happen because with that type of music the creativity is happening in the creation of the music uh the performance is sort of just um portraying you know it's 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 just you know recreating what you created whereas with the 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 bluesier rock stuff that i've done the creation of it is really just a skeleton of, of an idea. You know, the, ori the original composition, there's not much to it a lot of the time. It's, it's sort of a, um, it's, it's just a sketch. And the, the real creation happens in the moment, you know, when you're really just going out there and, you know, sometimes you might stretch out a section and take it in a whole new direction. And it's just, uh, so 
for me, that's more exciting because it means that every night when I go up to play the songs, um, it's, that is the creative process right there on the stage. I'm, I'm creating everything that's happening. You know, all the little licks that I do in between things, I'm able to come up with that on the spot. So I really just think it's a matter of, you know, the art form, what is it really about? And I think with the electronic stuff and with the progressive stuff, the art form is in the studio creation and the writing. And with the bluesy stuff, the art form is, is the performance and the, and the expression of it. And somewhere in between is another project of yours called Empty Self. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that. Uh, Empty Self was was sort of inspired by a little bit softer of a sound for the most part, you know, a little bit more acoustic driven stuff. Um, but it was also just inspired by the idea of this sort of synesthetic thing where I wanted to sort of make the sounds that I imagined in my head. I wanted to make a sound that sounded like the emotion felt rather than going, well, you, here's your instruments. You've got guitar, bass, drums, whatever. Uh, this guy's going to play this, this guy's going to play this. Instead of that, it was just this sort of, if I'm looking at a mountain, what does that sound like? You know? Uh, so it was more about sound design and, and just, um, just really, it's more introspective. It's from a more internal place, a more meditative place, uh, without reference to the band format. And when does that idea come to you? Is that while you were still in New Orleans? Is it when you're in New Zealand? or? It came to me while I was still in New Orleans, and I was still, um, I was still trying to get the Sire thing to be a band. Um, but I had written a couple of songs that just, I don't know, it's, it, I, I sort of started just experimenting with a different sound of like acoustic guitar and drum machine and stuff. And, and it was just, um, and singing a little bit lower and a little bit softer, you know, and just, it just was coming from a different place. Um, and so I just sort of, what I liked about it is that I didn't, you know, I didn't have any ambitions that it was going to be a band. So it was just purely, you know, it was almost like recording a remix, you know, or something. It, it, it was like something that would have been a remix of a rock band song or something like that, you know, because it, it, I wasn't thinking about how's this going to be pulled off live ever. I was just doing whatever I wanted to do with the studio tools I had. And so it was just, you know, I just enjoyed experimenting in that way. So it started in New Orleans and the first Empty Self record that came out, came out actually like three months before Katrina. And, um, and then, you know, when Katrina happened, I, I sort of was like, well, then I'll just do this project because this project I can take with me anywhere. You know, I can, I, this project is in my backpack. So, um, you know, I just, I loved the idea of just like putting on headphones in an airport and being and, and working on music. And, um, you know, so it, it started a little bit before that, but it very much became the answer for me when I lost everything in a storm, it was like, okay, well, you know, this is what I'm going to do. I'm just going to be more of an electronic um, songwriter. And do, do you think, I mean, it's interesting because when I, when I look at your different stuff be, between the, the progressive to the atmospheric or, or, um, or the blues or the acoustic, I mean, I just get this feeling that you would be doing these things anyways because this is what you want to do. Or you get an idea and say, I want to do this because I can. Mm -hmm. How often do you think in terms of the commerciality or, you know, the, the future of it? Is it more about doing it because you just feel like it's the way as opposed to saying, yeah, this might be a way for me to make money or this might be a way to gain more fans? What's the motivation, I guess, is the question. Well, I think the thing that I enjoy doing the most is 
you know, that electrified uh, live band performance. Um, and with the emphasis on the improvisation and stuff, there's something about, it's like surfing or something. Not that I know how to surf, but it's sort of, uh, it's sort of like, you know, when, when you're, when you're playing this big note and it's kind of feeding back and, and you just, you're experiencing it at the same time as the audience and you don't always really you don't know what you're going to do next. And you're just, it's, it's sort of this thing that um, takes you outside of yourself. And that's what I enjoy doing the most. And in order to do that, you need to be able to have an audience and you need to be able to have a place to do that. And, and you need to have an audience that understands what it is that you're trying to do. So you have to find that audience, you know, and so I wouldn't say, I, you know, I'm certainly not motivated by, uh, you know, anything very commercial, obviously, or I'd be trying to make pop music or, you know, country hits or something like that. But, um, but, you know, you do kind of go, okay, I don't want to be in a box, but I do want to be able to find that crowd that understands this. And so to a certain extent, um, you know, I, I think that there's an element of the blues audience that understands that sort of live improvisation, you know, speaking through your instrument and trying to go another place. I think there's a, a, a lot of the jam band crowd that understands that. Um, and, you know, because it's definitely not top 40, I can say it's definitely not about hooks and hits, you know, um, and of course, no one would hate having a hit that allows them to, you know, buy a house or something like that. I mean, who's, who's going to not like that? But it's certainly not something that that's not really, um, I, I just, you know, I can't somehow get myself to focus on that, you know, because what I really want to do is that experience uh, and be able to stretch out and have that, that experience uh, uh, with the crowd. So, you know, I do think about... Um, how to not be so all over the place with music because I am into a lot of stuff and you do kind of have to figure out how it's going to find an audience that understands what the hell you're doing. And, uh, and that you're not sort of, you know, losing people with, you know, a song that's radically different than the last song that they heard or, uh, you know, just figuring out how to do that, that balance of, familiarity with unfamiliarity or, you know, um, to where you can make people feel like they're immediately connecting with what they're hearing, but then you're able to take them in another direction. So I'd say I think about that more, you know, than the commercial aspect of it. As far as the commercial aspect of it, my goal is, you know, just to be able to do it, <laughs> really. So when you were in New Zealand and you decided there are certain things about home that I miss. Um, I presume at that point, when you decided to come back, part of your decision of which way you were going to go musically was decided for you. Am I, is that a correct thing to say? Yeah, I, I mean, when I first came back, I actually thought I'll, I'll do all the things. You know, I'll start the hard rock band up again and I'll, I'll play guitar for people and, and this and that. Um, but... I found myself, you know, just going out and hanging out and seeing music and connecting with people who were playing in the scene. A lot of them were playing in funk bands and sort of like jazz funk and different things. And I started, you know, people would ask me if I was available to play this or that gig and I would just do it for fun. And I was, I was you know, making a little bit of money to, to, to get by with, but, you know, just playing with brass bands and and whoever, you know, and Zydeco and whatever it was. And, and, um, really I was just, I was just soaking it all up, you know? Um, but it did sort of take me in the direction of, um, focusing more on what was happening, you know, here, like the, the local culture. Whereas before I had sort of made my own little bubble, I, I sort of broke out of that bubble and we just allowed myself to sort of be more influenced, you know, and, and, um, 
rather than just working on my own projects when somebody, you know, um, would call me to play a gig that was brass based funk music or whatever. And I went and played that and it wasn't really about guitar. I mean, you do some soloing and stuff, but like for the most part is about the whole ensemble. Um, and so, yeah, it, it did kind of naturally pull me in that direction. Um, you know, playing like Cyril Neville at the time needed a new guitar player. And, and that was a big thing because I really, really loved his voice and, and was a big fan of the Neville brothers. And, you know, and that just being able to have a link with that sort of musical heritage of New Orleans and learning more about it and everything, um, it, it sort of put the other stuff on, on hold for a while because, you know, I was just, was just living in, in the city and, and, um, you know, playing music that was way more New Orleans-y, so to speak, than the stuff I had done before. And it was, you know, it was very, it, it was just real. You know what I mean? I, I don't know how to say it. It wasn't up sure. in my head. It was out here in the world. And that was a big, that was a big difference. What, what would have been the greatest lesson you learned from playing with Cyril? Um, you know, probably just, just to, to listen to the space and, you know, the, the rhythmic aspect being really important. Um, you know, that's something that's a big difference between like funk guitar, like the meters and stuff like that from rock guitar is it plays a much more percussive role. And, um, and, you know, getting that right and sort of real, you know, being able to feel that groove with the band um, and, and that, that sort of on a playing level was, um, was a big thing. Um, but, you know, it's, 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 it's hard to say. I mean, um, I think he's, you know, he's just inspiring as a, as an artist and as a, as a singer. Um, and I think to, to be able to, to play with a, a, a singer like that and, and just to, I don't know, really feel more connected with the, with the heritage of New Orleans and, and the, the stuff that was very New Orleans-y, very headline jazz fest type of stuff. Um, that, that sort of made me have a, a new appreciation for for it that I, I, you know, might have not had um, before, you know, when I was when I was sort of doing rock stuff, and I sort of took for granted all the New Orleans stuff, but it really made me feel it, you know, why does this sound like the city? You know, why does this? Why is this the stuff that we all celebrate in the city? And what does it say about the way of life and stuff like that? So the fact that you've played with a lot of people from New Orleans, including Ciro, and you also played and toured with Tab Benoit, um, who also has a great tradition in, in the Louisiana music scene. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like you're now part of that? I mean, or is how important is that to be part of that lineage of the Louisiana music scene? Is that something that you're consciously aware of, or is that something you don't even think about? Um. I mean, I am kind of aware of it and, and because, you know, you do, um, you do kind of want to tell your honest story and the talk about the places that you really see and that you've really lived and, and, you know, the things that you've really gone through and everything. And, um, not to say, you know, I've never been a person that writes songs that are, just about stories about imaginary other people. Like I've never really done that. Now, I may use metaphors of, you know, you're talking about crimes or something and you're not really committing crimes or whatever, but, uh, but it's, but it's always my life, you know, but I, I used to write just on a more philosophical angle. And now I sort of feel like it's important to provide some of that, imagery of what actually surrounds me and you know what actually um the place 
itself. And I, I want to be part of that lineage, uh, you know, of Louisiana music. Um, even if I'm not the most traditional Louisiana artist, but I think part of it is just, you know, everybody's got their, their reality and their story. And sometimes, um, there's just by telling the truth about what your life is and the things you see, uh, you don't really even know all of the stuff that might be in there for someone else to discover. You know, that's, that's the great thing about sort of being honest with music is that, um, you know, you're, there, there might be a lot more there than you even realize, you know, mm-hmm. um, just by depicting what your life is like. And there might be something that someone else is able to take from that. Um, so if I was to ask you how you might have progressed or matured or changed between your first two solo albums, excluding the acoustic stuff, what would you say to that? Um, well, I, I think that a lot of it has been sort of trying to figure out what I actually enjoy doing and sorting that out. And how does that fit with, you know, what I'm driven to do artistically, because, um, there's definitely a part of me that if I sit down with an acoustic guitar or something, I might, I might be driven to do some very introspective stuff. Maybe I'll do some quiet finger picking stuff, but is that the life I want to lead? You know, um, it's sort of, I've found myself at, especially earlier in my life, doing things that I would turn around and go, yeah, well, I don't really want to get up on stage and do that. You know, it, and, and that seems really weird to people, but, but it's not because when you're sitting at home and you're playing with, you know, your, your toys at home and you've got a drum machine and a synthesizer and a guitar and you're doing what inspires you in that context. But there's a whole other context, which is at a festival on a sunny day, you know, looking out over a bunch of people that are smiling and having a great time. That's a whole different context than like slumped over a guitar, you know, in your studio. So it's sort of like in that context, all of a sudden I want to do something different. But if I'm going to be in that context doing what I want to do there, I sort of have to think of that and create the environment to where that'll be what I'm able to do, you know, so I think that a lot of w- what has changed with me and, and what I've learned over the years has been trying to put those things together rather than, you know, setting out music and then realizing, well, that's not what I want to get up there and do once I'm there. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but Okay, but you released two great acoustic albums recently because of the pandemic, because of your streaming concert. Was it... Was yeah. it difficult for you to think about releasing those? I mean, did you have some reservations about that? Because is that really what you want to do? I, I don't know. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's just, exactly. I mean, I, I really don't want to be the acoustic guy, you know, where everybody <laughs> just wants to book you as the acoustic guy to play early in the afternoon. Um, you know what I mean? I mean, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just not really what I want to do mostly. And if you, you have to be careful if you keep selling a package that is not really ultimately what you want to do. Um, you can find yourself, you know, putting yourself in a place that you didn't want to be. So, you know, yeah, I, I am sort of, I did have concerns about doing the acoustic thing too much because I just don't want to be pigeonholed as that. Um, I want to be synonymous with a, um, a more electrified, you know, band sound. When you see my name, I want you to think, oh, that's going to be, you know, a louder, bigger thing. Like, so I, I didn't, uh, I wasn't sure about that, you know, but, um, but the flip side of that is that I feel like it, it allows you to, uh, you know, connect 
there's only so many, you know, slow, soft songs that you can put on a record if, if the main purpose of the record is, is the band. Um, you know, so I, I feel like, uh, you know, it allowed me to show a little bit more of the softer side and, and maybe connect a little bit more emotionally in that way. Um, so there's definitely, um, you know, ultimately I figured out that it, it would be worth it and, and you have to just kind of trust that, um, that you're not confusing people. <laughs> and the, the other aspect is that it, it's both you. So there's nothing to say that you can't do a gig and in the middle of the set, pull out your acoustic and play a couple songs yeah. and then rock out again. Right? I mean, the fact that you can do sure. this is, you know, for somebody who can't do this, it's, it's an amazing thing. So, you know, that you can... Not only that, but I mean, just the idea is that if you decide that I want to record some of this, the, the sounds that I hear in my head and then put a drum track to that and put guitar to that and then, you know, rock out doing a blues tune and then just doing some nice acoustic tunes. I mean, it's pretty crazy that you have the ability and the facility to do the all these things. Right. Yeah, and, and I definitely think that... Um it's crazy how you know just the pandemic um forcing the you know the live stream thing not that you're forced but it was just like you know uh, well it's like well when's the next time i'm gonna play if i don't get on the live stream and start doing this and at first i thought but i'm not really that's not really my forte and then of course you know people want it they they show up and they, they tune in and they want to hear it again and they want you to do it again. And, and then you kind of go, well, I guess, you know, it feels good to do it and people <laughs> seem to enjoy, enjoy it. So maybe I, maybe this is more my forte than I thought, you know, just me playing by myself with an acoustic guitar. So it's, you know, I'm definitely um, of the mindset these days that, you know, uh, you do what you enjoy doing and, and if people like it, um, then, you know, you shouldn't be overly critical of yourself to the point where you don't think you're good enough to do it or you don't think that that's what your, your strength is or whatever. It's like, well, compared to doing nothing, I sure do enjoy getting an acoustic guitar and playing. And if people like it, then it, it's like it opened up this whole new thing that I didn't think that I... I was really necessarily able to do. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, I'm a lot more comfortable with it now just over the last couple of years or well, I should say it hasn't quite been two years, but yeah. it feels like it, but you know, just over 2020 and 2021. Um, now I have gotten some, you know, gone out there and done some acoustic shows and stuff and it's been really cool. And, and, um, I, that was not on my agenda before last year. So having done this, where do you see yourself going forward? And I know the world is still up in the air and who knows what's going on. And I don't know what the situation is like down there right now. But um, having released these two albums and having gotten the really positive feedback on your electrified albums, what, what are you seeing in the future? Does anything change? Or do you know what direction you're going to go into? Um. You know, I definitely want to do another electric album. Um, I'm trying, you know, typically if you're playing live enough, then you can have ideas that are coming from that. And, you know, maybe from the, the jams that you end up doing at a sound check or whatever, you know, and then maybe you get together and you do a little rehearsal or something here and there. Uh, with the way that the live music world has been going for the past year and a half, there haven't been enough of those times. And so I really am eager to sort of get in a room with some guys and like jam. Um, and, you know, have a little more time than sort of being on the clock in a studio. Uh, so I'm sort of looking for a situation to do that. But at the same time, I'm writing riffs and, and, and songs and stuff you know, working on that, um, at home, but I really, I sort of, my idea of, of the next thing I want to do is I want it to be a little bit more influenced in the moment and not be quite as pre-written when we get in the studio and stuff. So I'm trying to, trying to 
figure out a situation where I could go in with a, a little bit less scripted and, you know, a little bit less written down and maybe see if what we can come up with in the studio. But I definitely want to do another electric record and really hope to be getting out there and, and you know, playing more with the band and, and acoustic. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to book both things uh, at the moment. It's been, you know, it's been a, a step forward and a step backward and, you know, everything uh, just as we felt we were sort of getting into a different place over the summer, the Delta kind of came out and started canceling things again and Jazz Fest was canceled. And, you know, it's so it's it's hard to really say, are we on the verge of getting back to the way things used to be or, or not? Um, but, you know, I just sort of, you know, take it a day at a time and, and, um, you know, try to, try to do, <laughs> do what I can. Do you set goals for yourself? Hmm. Um, I, you know, not very, not, not as clearly as I probably should. I, 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 uh, I'll set like artistic things that I want to accomplish, um, that I feel like maybe I haven't done as much of, you know, like where it's like, I sort of, uh, I want to have a little bit more sunlight in some of the stuff that I do, you know, and that doesn't mean, you know, happy go lucky stuff or whatever, but it's like, you know, I want, I think going through a lot of the things that I've gone through, we've all gone through in the past year has really made it clear to me that music, is often about healing people, you know, and it's not just about expressing turmoil or angst or, or struggle that you're going through. It literally in that moment can be a healing thing for, for people. And so I want to get better about at that, you know, that I, I want to be able to, to connect with that place a little bit more. Um, so I'll, I'll, you know, I'll think about things like that, that I want to sort of draw from. I don't really, I'm not so great about setting like five-year goals or anything like that. Um, it wouldn't be a bad idea, but it, I haven't <laughs> never really been good at, at doing that. Well, Eric, I should cut this off, but thank you so much. It's, it's a real pleasure meeting you. Thank you. As I said, one of my listeners suggested I talk to you, and um, I've been listening to your music and been really impressed with what you do. So I appreciate this time. Thanks, man. It was a great, great conversation. I appreciate it. Is there anything that is there anything coming up that people should know about? Uh, you know, I have a live stream that I've been doing every every Thursday on my Facebook page, um, 7 p.m. Central Time, and it's um, it's just a free hangout live stream uh, acoustic thing. And um, you know, hopefully have some more band dates out there um, later in the in the fall and, and winter and stuff, but. Um, other than that, just, you know, stay in touch online and, and um, you know, I always love hearing from people and, you know, drop by the live stream. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, man. Thank you.